Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to QAV episode 415TK. We're both back in our homes. Yeah, we are. It's good. Good to be back. How was Bundaberg? Oh, Bundaberg was great. Like, uh, it was a bit hot yesterday, but today, like, it was 26. Blue skies, just beautiful. We've decided we're never going back to Bundy in uh, summer ever again. It's just March and March, April, September. Perfect. Beautiful beaches, yeah. beautiful weather, everything. Hey, did you get my gift? Oh, I did. Where is it? Shit, I was going to wear it. You're not wearing it. Hang on. Wait on, I'll go and get it. <laughs> Getting close. <laughs> Give us a close-up. Uh. Give us a close-up. Berkshire Hathaway, May 1, 1999. Warren the Whip Buffett. There you go. I, I expect you yeah. to wear that when you play golf from now on. That's your new golf hat. <laughs> thank you it's lovely it's the only thing i could find mm. that uh was from <laughs> omaha nebraska <laughs> <laughs> it's an old one was it on like some kind of antique site or ebay, eBay or what yeah ebay yeah, yeah. Okay. fair spinning auction yeah i had to <laughs> get in there not really <laughs> <laughs> oh that's good no it's good thank you and uh, also the whiskey that the Melbourne guy sent me was Bakery ah, Hill. Ah, right, lovely Bakery Hill Pocket Guide. All right, well let's get into uh, let's get into stocks. Uh, I want to promote your ASA webinar or our ASA webinar. Apparently, I'm on the thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm I'm not doing anything. But you're meant to deliver half the presentation. Am I? But you yeah. wrote the deck. You rewrote my. You wrote the I deck. I wrote the first deck, then you rewrote the deck, <laughs> and you said you were going to do it by yourself. No, I didn't. I said I, you, you had it written as if you were doing it by yourself. No, I, I was going to do it, and then I was going to introduce you originally. I was going to mm. go, and, and now, ladies and gentlemen, okay, yeah, we better we practice <laughs> what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so that's uh, April 15th, I think. Uh, is it 1 p.m.? 
It's it's 12. 12, 12 p.m. PM. Yes, scratch that. 12 yeah. p.m. Thursday the 15th. It's this Thursday. And you can find out more on uh, our Facebook page. You get the link or the ASA website. And, uh, yeah, but it's not going to be anything new for our subscribers, really. We're just going to be telling your story and talking about QAV, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, should be fun. Yep. Yeah. Um, our portfolio, I just uh, pulled up share site. Hasn't changed much since last week by the looks of it. Uh, for this financial year, our portfolio is up 31% versus the uh, SPDR uh, ASX 200 fund, which is up 21.8%, so but 22. So we're about 9, 10 points uh, ahead of the ASX. So it's good. Mm-hmm. It's not double, mm-hmm. but it's good. And, you know, comes and goes, goes up, goes down. But uh, we're still outperforming it uh, nicely. Yeah, correct. I've got a couple of things to go through if you've got time. Yeah. Yeah. So got the first bit of work back from Dylan, the intern, which was really good. What is that first bit I'll of work? Up. Yeah. So we've been well, we've been trying to set up regression testing, as you know, and we've got our data source now and Dylan's written the code for it. But uh, we've, we've spent a lot of time trying to get the three-point trend line algorithm to, to be automated. So... It's kind of there. It's working in most cases, but not all cases. So now we decided to park it for a while and just look at some of the questions we could answer perhaps without the three-point trend line being automated. And the first question was, which was the heavy lifter of our KPIs? So Dylan went back 10 years and pulled out, like ran and re-ran and re-ran the models, taking samples of hundreds of stocks and uh, creating buy lists. What what he decided to do was to rebalance. So he um, he would sell and buy according to when stocks. He would, he would try and hold the top ten stocks in the buy list every half. So he was selling and buying to do that, as opposed to three point trend line buying and selling, which is a bit different to what we do. But in terms of the process of what we're trying to do, which is to just look at the relative performance of each item on a checklist, uh, it, it it worked fine. So. The average of all his runs, he did 50, 50 tests and he averaged 19% over 10 years per annum, which is pretty close to what I was getting anyway. Uh, and that was just with a simple rebalancing method. So I'm, I'm hoping it'll be different when we actually get the three-point trend line up and running. Different in terms of better? Yeah, I would think so. so. Sorry, can you explain what the rebalance, how the rebalancing works? Yeah, so he would... Uh, generate a buy list when there were new figures every half and then rebalance the portfolio. So if something wasn't in the top 10, I think he used 10 stocks. I'm, I don't have the details, that kind of detail in front of me. I think he used 10 stocks in each portfolio. So he bought the top 10 on the QAV list every every half right. and sold out and rebought to um, to achieve that. Right. So he would rebuild the buy list every new results season, mm-hmm. Uh take out anything that wasn't in the top 10, he would remove it and replace it like an ETF, basically. Yeah, pretty right. much, yeah. And it achieved yeah. 19%. Wow. Correct, yeah. So the big the big heavy hitters in that list, I guess maybe no surprise, but the two biggest ones were uh, the price to operating cash flow mm-hmm. and uh, the increasing equity. Right. Yep. And then after that was the using our IV2 
figure. Right. So in other words, if, DCF. if we didn't use the IV2 score in the checklist, the, the performance dropped off to 14.9%. Mm -hmm. If we didn't use uh, price to book being greater than 30% or sorry, 30% or less above the book price, we dropped back to 14.5%. Uh, if we didn't use operating cash flow per share, though, we dropped back to 9.6%, mm. which is pretty much market, mm. I would think, over that time. And if we didn't use uh, increasing equity, we dropped back to 13.8%. And, and all of the variables that Dylan pulled out all had some contribution to play. So uh, some of them were only making like a 1% difference, but some of them, you know, as I said, were making sort of 7% difference, which is a lot. Mm. Yeah, so um, that's the start. That's the first run through. He did a lot of testing on that. But I'm going to go back now and, and look at uh, what a portfolio would look like if we just used the big heavy hitters, just operating cash flow, price to operating cash flow, and then uh, increasing equity. And I want to test what the correct weightings are. Should we be instead of giving like price to operating cash flow a score of one if it's less than six mm -hmm. or six mm -hmm. or less? Should we be giving it like a score of five if it's that important wow. to us? So, yeah, so that's the kind of work we plan to do in the future based on that. But interesting first um, first cut, and he's got the model set up now, which is that's, good. That's really exciting. Hooray for Dylan, yeah. the intern. When do yeah. we lose Dylan? So he's, isn't he back at uni now? He's back at uni, so he's slowed down a bit, but he's uh, I think he's really enjoying this, so he's giving it a fair bit of time, which is great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, yeah. So I hope, hopefully we'll add some of the other questions in that we've been asking about, like increasing gross profit, I think, was one that, Steve Mab suggested we'll put that one in and see what makes a difference. And yeah, slowly work our way through our backlog of items to check to regression test. Yeah. So that's good. The other interesting thing I read on the weekend uh, was a paper that Jamie sent through to us. I'll just, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to read it. I'll just get the title up so I don't no. mess it up because it's, it's quite techy. The paper was called A Quantitative Approach to Tactical Asset Allocation from the Journal of Wealth Management. Uh, and it was, I think, originally published in 2007, but it's been updated recently. Uh, so long, long story short, it was uh, buying, it was buying um, an index fund and then swapping out between an index fund of shares and an, an index fund of bonds when a moving average line that was a 10-month average was crossed by the share price. So it's kind of like an alternative to our three-point trend line. I know we've looked at it in the past where we looked at a long-term moving average being crossed by a short-term moving average, but this was even simpler. It was, it was just overlaying a 10-month moving average over the share price. Mm -hmm. And when the uh, share price went below the average, the person running the regression test would sell out of the index fund and buy into bonds, and then we'll re reverse it when the moving average was a buy signal when the um, share price went above the moving average, 10-month moving average. And in Stock Doctor, if you go into the advanced graphing guy, uh, graphing section, mm. yeah, charting, and then go into studies, there's a mo simple moving average line there which you can overlay to have a look at it. I did some quick checks, and in some cases it lines up with our three-point trend lines, but in other cases it's a bit choppier, so more volatile. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the, the point that this guy makes is that uh, by getting out of the market when the downtrend has commenced, 
he's he got outsized performance, which is the kind of sort of result that we're getting as well. So if people are interested, they can go and have a look at the the paper, and it goes it it lists various different tests, all kinds of tests, and they're the uh, the benefit of using this kind of approach. But it was really worthwhile, and the the reason for it being worthwhile is that. Uh, you're just out of the market when the market's going through its um, its corrections. So you're in there for the good times and you're getting out when the times turn bad. For people who want to look it up themselves, it's called a quantitative approach to tactical asset allocation. It's a bit technical. So I guess skim, skim through it until it gets to the meat of the article, which is a, basically looking at the effect of having a 10-month moving average on your performance. Right. Yeah. By the way, I, I keep losing concentration because I'm looking at your background, or you know, your background, your room. It just looks like a Da Vinci painting. I'm looking at the <laughs> the perspective of those squares on your ceiling yeah, right. going back. Your, yeah. The room is so long and deep. It looks fake. It looks like you've got a green screen background with a yeah, with fake. a Da Vinci painting. <laughs> well, I know it's not fake. I've been there two weeks ago, yeah. but. Yeah, right. It's just, uh, it looks stunning from this perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so many like perspective angles coming in. It's uh, mm. quite great. It's dramatic. Yeah, good. Well, thanks, Jamie. Uh, what else you got, boss? Uh, I, I didn't have it done a download, but uh, I thought we'd just talk quickly about stock of the week, which is the number one thing on the last download I did on the buy list, which was Maxi Trans MXI. Maxi Pads. No, Maxi Trans. No. Maxi Trans. Right, Maxi Trans. Manufacturer of trailers, like uh, truck trailers. Right. Why are they your stock of the week? Because they're number one on the buy list, and I thought we should, oh, okay. you know, I, I haven't done a download for a while, so I thought we should look at the number one on the buy list. Yeah. Uh, it's only small. It's only a small cap, though, um, and its average daily trading is about $30,000 from memory. Right. So it won't suit everyone. Yep. It's uh, 29,165, yeah. Is that and 64 MF- million market cap. That's not MFD? No, no it's MXI. MXI. Yeah. Just bringing up their chart. Last time I had a, I did a download, which was about a week ago now, they were scoring 0.67. Uh, oh, that's uh, high. Yeah. Yeah. So why are so they think, scoring so well and why are they, uh, you know, what's going on with them? Yeah, so I'm just going to look at their operating cash flow. It's it's probably the highest it's been in the last, or at least five years, maybe even forever. And I just had a, oh, since about, no, it's actually, I can't see a higher, a higher cash flow year than what they're doing at the moment. And um, I'm, I don't normally do this, but in trying to work out why that was the case, I went to their uh, announcements and in the AGM, they spoke about the fact that they were so uncertain during COVID that they were going to survive, that they did everything they could to maximise cash flow, operating cash flow. So they paid down debt. They uh, took costs out of the manufacturing process, uh, blah, blah, blah. They did did whatever they could to focus on cash flow and it's, 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 it's at a record high now. So I think that's why it's scoring so well for us. Right. Well, good for them. I'm just looking yeah. at their chart, though. Okay. Yeah, no, they're above their sell line. Mm-hmm. If I do uh, the second peak from sort of January uh, 21 
second trough, I mean, as the second low point. I was using the yeah. I was using the uh, second one, like the uh, out of the well, it's a bit late for COVID, really. Like their low point was June 2020 for some reason. I was using the July one, and that would have put the cell line right about where they are now. But if I use that second uh, trough, late January, early February, whatever that mm. one is, there, January, it uh, uh, it's above that nicely by 10 percent mm-hmm. higher than that. Yeah, a bit less actually, but it's it's sort of got a nice upward trend since June. It, it does, yes, hmm. and would across the byline. Uh, only like a month ago, really, February, March, maybe uh, February. Yeah, if you use that that second point. Yeah, yeah, second second peak. Sorry, back in November Late last year. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think you might. I'd be inclined to use one earlier. Yeah, so right. First point, December. Second point, February eighteen, which would bring you back into a buy around about. October 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah, you right. You may have had a sell though in that after that because as you say, the two low points would have been a sell. Yeah. Yeah, maybe just after that. So yeah, you're probably right to use the peak you suggested in November 2020. Right. Hmm. Good. Maxi trends. That's a that's a pretty good score. It's a very good score, isn't it? Yeah. And shows you the power of uh of focusing on operating cash flow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess they, they, were, they were taking lots of short-term decisions because they were worried about what the effect of COVID would be on their business. But, uh, I, uh, you know, sort of reading between the lines, I think they're they're selling okay at the moment. Right. Yeah. Anything else in the news? No, I don't think so. I think that's enough. Okay. Well, we've got a few questions. Thanks to everybody. I We, we only had one question as of yesterday and I jumped onto the club page and said any questions and a bunch of them poured in via email and Facebook. So thank you to everyone for giving something, giving us something to talk about. Uh, This first one is from Paul. Hi, Cam. I'd be interested to hear Tony's thoughts on the performance of the NASDAQ 100 over the past 10 years, a 23 and a half percent per annum average return Hey, I'm going to pause for a second. That reminds me. Um, sorry, getting back to Dylan's regression testing, that mm-hmm. 19%, does that uh, include um, after you've netted out brokerage, capital gains tax, no, all that kind that of stuff? That would be gross. That would, that would be, be gross. gross. Right. So your 19.5% yeah. is net. That mm-hmm. His 90% is gross. Correct. And probably yeah. doing a little bit more trading as well. Well, I uh, don't know, but possibly. Like he's probably trading every six months at least. Yeah. And I know, I know you do I, I too. You, you said you yeah. tend to dump a couple on yep. average. I, I just haven't gone through the detail with Dylan yet about it, yeah, so I don't right. know. And yeah. and so that's gross. So if if we had to net out CGT and, ta- and, and um, brokerage and uh, the other fees, et cetera, associated with it, what do you think that would drop the 19 down by? Any rough guess? Yeah, it's hard to say. Half a hard point? Hard to say. Uh, I, I don't, okay, so I don't think brokerage would have a big impact on things, maybe half a point at the most. Tax might, just depends on on the, whether there were losses to go against the capital gains. And Yeah, yeah right. I don't don't know, sorry. Yeah, that's, that's a figure we'd need to try and get at some yeah. point, wouldn't it? That's the yeah. real figure, right? 
Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Back to uh, Paul's question. A twenty. This is the Nasdaq 100 over the last ten years. A twenty-three and a half percent per annum average return for a decade would appear to be a very consistent, stellar return for very little effort. Would Tony argue that the decade was a one-off, past performance not an in, and not an indicator of future returns, etc.? Or might there be value in having tech ETF exposure in a portfolio, given the nature of the fastest-growing businesses and the times in which we live? I appreciate that they are difficult to value, but it is hard to argue with numbers like these, and it would appear that a basket of the leading 100 stocks more than averages out the winners and losers. Kind regards, Paul. Fair question, I thought. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, if Paul wants to go ahead and do it, then feel free or, or do a champion challenger portfolio with it. Uh, I wouldn't myself personally, and this is not, by any means, financial advice. Uh, as you know, it's not. It's Buffett would say it's outside his circle of competence to invest in tech stocks, and it's certainly outside of mine. I'm competent to know these businesses uh, are sometimes good businesses, but I don't think that they're always good investments. And you know, Paul says in his um, question, he appreciate that they appreciates they are difficult to value, but is but it's hard to argue with numbers like these. So. It's basically a momentum trade, I would think, to, to do this. But it's an e- isn't it the same as any ETF buy? You're just looking at the ETF returns. Yeah. So the this well, I think just a couple of things about the numbers. I think they require a bit more investigation because uh, I pulled up. So this is a new ETF from what I well I can see, or it's a, at least a recently listed ETF. It's a beta shares one on the ASX NDQ. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I couldn't find my own numbers to do a calculation on the NASDAQ 100. I, I, there's the NASDAQ Composite Index, which is everything in a NASDAQ, and that certainly hasn't been getting 23.5% over the last 10 years. I pulled the numbers off um, Google Finance myself um, yeah, recently today, right? and I, I make it that the NASDAQ Composite had 17.5% over the last 10 years. Right. And then if you go back 20 years, it's 9.9% and 11.6% for 30 years. So, And you could argue the NASDAQ 30 years ago is a lot different to the NASDAQ today. So I'm happy to take the 17.5%. But that's that's um, half of what this uh, ETF provider is claiming. Well, not half, sorry. It's less than what this ETF provider is claiming. They're claiming 23.5 and I'm getting 17.5 for the whole NASDAQ. When I went in and looked at uh, trying to find an ET, a US ETF for the NASDAQ 100, the one I pulled up, again, was not performing at that kind of rate. So I, I um, obviously beta shares would have have the numbers to back up what they're saying, but I'd be interested if um, if maybe Paul wants to do his own investigations and, and uh, convince himself or satisfy himself that that's actually what the returns are. But... It, Taking that aside, my problem with the NASDAQ isn't so much that it's it's um, that, that it's an index of stocks I can't value, which is part of the problem. It's more that history has shown that, when, that things that go up high come down with a thud. And you know, having been through the dot-com boom and bubble and burst, when the NASDAQ dropped 75%, uh, it's it's... And, and just looking at it during other downturns, they tend to magnify the upside and the downside. And in the rising interest rate environment, which we're going into, it might not be next year, but it's or even this year, but certainly in the future, I think there'll be you know some downward pressure on the high flying growth stocks. So, 
if if Paul wanted to to buy into the this um, ETF, I'd definitely do it only if I had a three point trend line strategy or a ten month moving average strategy, so I could get out mm. um, at the first sign of trouble. Because yeah, that what what goes up quickly comes down even quicker. So that's that's my concern. It's not a, it's not a sleep at night portfolio for me. Um, it's because I know that at some stage I'm going to wake up and wish I'd you know, wish I'd sold out the day before because overnight in the US something terrible has happened and the stocks have all dropped 30% in one night. So that happens on the NASDAQ. Right. So, you, you, you know, it wouldn't be the situation like any other stock in our portfolio where you're just looking at a three-point trend line, sell line, because you think it could collapse more quickly than... A, a no, I, healthy I'm saying at least I'm saying at least use a three-point trend line, but yeah, it could actually drop through the three-point trend line at a very fast rate, which which they've done before. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, like the other the other general point to make is that from time to time, people can always cherry pick a good ten-year uh, period of investing, and and the point again that Paul makes is that future uh, past results don't always predict future returns is valid. Uh, the NASDAQ could NASDAQ 100 could continue to do 23.5% per annum. I, I wouldn't know. Uh, but, um, but, you know, like the best investment in vehicles got to be a TARDIS. So you can fly back in time and buy Bitcoin and buy Amazon at the IPO and buy Apple when Steve Jobs was running it, all those kinds of things. They're always going to be an example out there over the last 10 years, which beats your return. You've, you've just got to be comfortable that your return is um, good for all seasons, good for all weather, and that you're comfortable, you can sleep at night, mm. you have a process for dealing with the ups and the downs, and uh, and you understand what you're investing in. You, you basically get on the figures. And I think with a lot of these things that are saying, look how good it's been for the last 10 years, they're basically on the past figures and not necessarily the future figures. Right. Same with Bitcoin. Why doesn't why doesn't Paul go and buy Bitcoin? It's it's outperformed in the last year. <laughs> it's the same thing. We can't value it. <laughs> we don't know. We don't have a checklist for buying it. All we can do is put a three point trend line over it in terms of trading, and that's a valid strategy as long as you're diligent and the, and you don't get, you know, you don't get stuck with something which falls so quickly you can't get out. Well, how do you remind me again how you value licks like Wilson Asset Management? Well, that's different. And uh, this, I mean, the ETF could be valued the same way, I suppose. Um, Wilson Asset Management, for example, or any of the LICs will have to pub- have to publish their net tangible asset backing, which is the mark-to-market value of all the stocks they hold as of, it's usually done um, on a monthly basis as of month end. And then you can compare that to the share price of the LIC, which holds all those assets. And so sometimes you can buy a dollar for 80 cents, which is a great time to buy a, a lick. Uh, you, you prob- well, you probably could do this if you had, if they publish what the underlying, no, you can't, it's an ETF. ETFs don't trade it at discounts or, or um, uh, overages to their um, net tangible assets because there's a, a, a company or a person in the background called the market maker who's always trading the other way. So the ETF is meant to equal the index all the time. Right. Yeah. Right, but you have said in, in, in our investing ladder, an ETF is a good starting point for people on their investing journey. Well, I probably said LICs on ETFs, yes, but LICs I prefer. Right. Okay. 
You could use it, yes. You can use an ETF if you're buying the um, buying the index. I prefer to use an LIC so I can trade that over or underage compared to the index. Right, but that yeah. again, that takes work, then though. It does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in in our investment ladder, if we're talking about the good starting point for people on their investing journey who don't have the time or the inclination to do a QAV type analysis on anything. They just want a good return with low fees. I think we have said ETF and an LIC is a good place to go. We have index funds yeah. generally. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not sure I'd be, uh, I wouldn't advise anyone to go and buy a, a NASDAQ index fund though with, with all their money. Sure. Like I said, do it as a test or do it as with some of the money. Um, and, you know, ideally do it through a downward cycle so you can see what the downside's going to be and how you cope with it. Come back in 30 because, years and tell us how it went. Well, yeah, it's a bit hard, isn't it? <laughs> well, go back and have a look. I mean, you can, you can pull up at least a 30-year graph of the NASDAQ and you can see that, you know. Well, you could regression test this, right? You could regression yeah. test what the top 100... Um, mm -hmm. stocks in the NASDAQ were over 20 years and, mm -hmm. you know, how it would have performed. Surely somebody's Correct. done that. Well, I, I did some research today, but I couldn't come across that. I just came across the NASDAQ composite. Hmm. Well, thanks, Paul. Good one. Next question, Arash. Hi, Cameron. I know you've spoken about AGD, but would be interested to know if Tony thinks we should keep our AGD shares and stick to the sell line or cut our losses in light of the announcement discussed in last week's podcast. Well, I'm assuming that what Arash is talking about there is my musings on whether I would take a shorter period for gold stocks based on the commodity price and when it started to kick up, but I'm not sure exactly what he's referring there. Me either. I thought, I hoped you'd know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what he's talking about because um, I had I had mentioned it a couple of times over the last few weeks. Looking at gold I'm and commodity prices? Commodities, yeah. Yeah. And AGD is a gold miner, so I guess that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, sorry, Arash, I've been away playing golf, so I haven't <laughs> I haven't landed on a, an answer yet or a solution to my commodity trend line trading strategy. So I'll have to get back to you on that one. But if I look at AGD, they sort of, their price peaked in August last year to 28.67. Uh, currently down at 17 and a half. So it seems to be sliding. The three point sell line for it though is pretty low. It's like, this, yeah. you know, 10 cents or something. Yeah. And so Arash is asking the, rel the you know, relevant question is, uh, has has the gold price peaked? And um, as I've said before, it, it's only come off from twenty or from two thousand dollars US to seventeen hundred dollars US. Yep. Sorry, is that Aussie? Yeah, anyway, two thousand to seventeen hundred dollars, which is not a whole lot. The the gold trend line is still in an upswing, so I'm not really understanding why the gold miners are selling off so dramatically. But at the moment, they're still above their three-point sell line. So, and in fact, this one's kind of almost getting back to a buy again. AGD. Uh, if that, if that, the last sort of month, which is going sideways, if that kicks up, I think that will almost breach the buy line, wouldn't it? Just uh, running a digital ruler over it. Mm -hmm. So I've got a high point in August 2020, and. Yeah. February 21 is my second point. Yeah. 
Well, it's kind of it's kind of cross that. It's above yeah. that. It's yeah, it's just kind of touching it now, I think. So it'll be up to where it goes to in the next month or so as to whether it's a buy again. Yeah. Um, but it, well, it's it's still in a buy, but it might be a, a more recent buy. It might be an uptick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Arash, sorry, I don't have a definitive answer about about commodity stocks yet. I'm still doing some testing on that and some thinking about it. Just trying to get to a Stock Doctor's commodity page so I can have a look at what's been happening with the gold price recently. Sure. CMD commodities, la di da, gold. Uh, well, it's spiking up. Yeah. Today. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and look, you, you kind of expect it because, uh, you know, vaccines are, aren't working and, you know, are being slower to roll out than they should be and all that kind of stuff. So the world's not through this COVID situation. I, I expect gold to, to not drop too much further from where it is in that kind of background. Yeah. So it's sort of a wait and see with gold. Yeah, it is. Yep. All right. Hope that helps, Arash. Uh, Murray, why did Tony skip past MYR on the buy list for his recent buys? Would have thought it would have the liquidity and size for him. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, too small. Sorry, Murray. My just a my most recent download. My has an average daily trading amount of eight hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars. That's, that's basically and, your lunch uh, budget. <laughs> your booze budget uh, for the look, month. Uh, yeah, my, my rule of thumb is to try and buy things which are yeah, which are three times higher than my holding in them, which doesn't apply in this case. Three times higher. Yeah, so a third. So the average daily trade. So my my portfolio holding is a third of the average daily trade. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I fudge that and go up to 50%, but I try and keep it below 50%. Right. So in this case, the daily trade would need to be like a hundred million. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but Myra is too small. So now I have a whole barrage of questions. Phil, what about the one that trades at a hundred million dollars? Phil, yeah, we just keep edging our way up. Yeah. Phil Muscatello sent us an email during the week that one of the top searches that leading people to his website is what is Tony Coniston's net worth? <laughs> and I said, yeah, that was all me. I was hoping he'd told you. We had a few drinks because he won't tell me. <laughs> Not that I've ever asked, but I'm assuming if I asked, you would never tell me. That's like a joke I heard recently. Yeah. Larry, Larry Emder passed away. Okay. Do you know how old he was? No, how old? Well, how old do you think? Larry Emder? Yeah. Uh, 50? Higher. 60? Higher. This is Larry Emder. Well, I, don't know, I don't even know who Larry Emder is. He did a game show, right? I don't watch TV. What game show did he do? The Price is Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, Good one. Lower. Did he really pass away? Higher. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good joke, though. Nice one. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, QAVpodcast, 
www.thegreatlakes.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the premium episodes, you get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, you get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, And also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, Go back and listen to Season 3, Episodes 1, 3, and 5, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to Season 1 as well, all of the free episodes in Season 1, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, with that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>